one and all to Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial Star Trek Lower Decks podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Ahoy, ahoy, Pete. Everyone, protect this slime. Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, featuring Lower Decks, comes to you now via maintenance hatch access protocols. Pete, so glad to be back talking Star Trek and so glad to be so enthusiastic about this show. I know longtime listeners will know I kind of wasn't into it before San Diego Comic-Con 2019. Then they had the panel and I said, oh, I get it. And then kind of more came out and I was like, okay, I guess we'll see. And what a breath of fresh air. You know, no, no criticism against Picard or Discovery, but this is the different same new old love letter but new territory it's exactly the intermix that they wanted and they got it the first of 23 straight weeks of star trek star trek is back baby and that's not all who's back matt as uh, showrunner Mike McCann has told us that legacy characters will be in season one of Star Trek Lower Decks. You know I run spoiler-free. Longtime listeners will know that. Maybe if we're picking up some new listeners along the way, welcome. Uh, handling frequencies are open, etc. Uh, so I don't know who those could be. I mean, I have certainly some guesses, but tons of potential here for those you know those old vibes along with the newness of this show this crew this ship etc and now for our ready rundown program complete enter when ready the uss cerritos is at douglas station prepping to go to the galadonian high council it's a second contact mission ensign boimler is upwardly mobile ensign mariner downwardly mobile and drunk they're both in the command division. She can also swing a pretty mean batleth. Ensign Tendi, on the medical track, is new to the ship and super enthusiastic to be here. Her liaison officer is Boimler, though Mariner is decidedly anti-senior officer. They meet Ensign Rutherford, an engineer and recent cyborg with a glitchy Vulcan interface. On Gallardon, Commander Ransom wraps up his visit and is stung by a bug. Brewskis later! On the bridge, he sees Boimler, who's been summoned. Captain Freeman talks to Boimler one-on-one. -on -one. Keep an eye on Mariner. At the ship's bar, Rutherford is on a date with Ensign Barnes. It's going well until Ransom's bug bite turns him into a bile-spewing zombie. The date's still going well, though there's chaos on the bridge, er, bar. The infection has spread, as Tendi finds out, in a chaotic sickbay and ends up pumping a heart by hand. Rutherford and Barnes go for a spacewalk on the ship's hull to get to the rally point. They're almost taken out by zombies, but find a safe corner. She kisses him, but he's perplexed by the door not opening properly. Planet side, Boimler's installing a subspace array and sees Mariner sneaking off. She heads to some simple farmers for which she's sneaking farming tools. Boims overreacts, and a giant spider creature attacks them. They hide from it as it shoots butt-webbing in a tree while Mariner shares that she was here a year ago on the Keto before her demotion and reassignment. They use their uniforms to create decoys and attack the spider, which is a friendly herbivore that's just suckling Boimler's moisture, leaving him covered in slime. 
all's well that ends well, and the two go back to the capital city. They beam up to a chaotic ship, but Boimler's spider slime holds the antidote. They get to sick bay, where the senior staff saves the day to great acclaim. No thanks to Boimler. Boims is keeping Mariner's secret, especially as Captain Freeman continues to downplay his slime. Alone, Freeman gets a call from her sweetheart, and it's revealed that the captain and admiral are Mariner's parents. Boimler, Mariner, Tendy, and Rutherford reflect on the day with, perhaps, a spark, professional or personal, between Tendy and Rutherford. Mariner appreciates Boimler's loyalty, and she'll see him in the captain's chair one day as she name-checks her and McCann's Trek credentials. Red alert. All hands stand to battle stations. Let's talk about the bug bite virus here causing our crew members to spew venomous black bile. I think within the context of Star Trek overall, this is right at home with many a similar threat. Yes, it's kind of to an extreme that we're not normally used to in, let's say, you know, a contemplative hour of next generation or something like that but i think the spirit of you know the strange alien virus i mean i think you know i think classic trek and when spock got shot in the face with the white petals and got all space high and happy you know it's very at home it's just taken slightly to an animation extreme but it's the kind of thing that you know in Within the world of Star Trek, it's the kind of thing where, oh boy, do you remember this crazy mission? Oh yeah, luckily we all got saved in the end. So it's kind of self-referential to Star Trek, but also believably alien. Yeah, I mean, how many times has something uh, bypassed the pattern buffers of the transporter to get uh, beamed up that it didn't get caught? uh, And here all hell breaks loose in the bar, spreads throughout the ship i love the scene in sick bay with uh vacation doctor is you know gonna be a a fan favorite character dr tana and uh you know pumping the heart and uh not giving permission for anybody to to die nobody's authorized to die again it's this is the stuff we've always speculated that can be funny uh that we're seeing And add to it this notion of the herbivore spider cow thing. I mean, first of all, the design of it, the scale of it, it's leaning into the the positives that animation brings you. I mean, to do to do a a, a rubber creature, you know, in the 60s, 70s, 80s of that scale would be prohibitive Uh, to do it in, you know, computer generation. Now you could do but it's probably one of these things of do we want to spend $150,000 on this this uh alien for one episode versus $100,000 on the set we're going to reuse or something like that but with animation with digital ink you know all things are equal and it's super fun to have this crazy larger than life vaguely scary thing that in the Star Trek spirit, Pete turns out to be not the scary monster. We were misjudging it with our with our human norms, and it just wants to suckle some moisture. Yeah, and 40 years ago, there would have been essentially three shots of it walking that they would have played over and over and over again. <laughs> or close-ups of the feet or something like that. Yes, yeah. Yes. And, I mean, I... I you look at both of these baddies, right? The bug virus and the spider cow. And 
you know, for whatever for whatever minor and I would say incorrect criticism there was of, oh, this wasn't complex, this was, you know, Looney Tunes, this was whatever. I mean, the problem of the bug virus, your A story nominally, uh, or your A threat, is mitigated by the other thing that's going on in your B story, or if we're more loyal to Boimler and Mariner, it's, you know, the A and B are flipped. But the two parts of the story here are seemingly unconnected until the very end when there is the connection and it's just it it shows how compact and well organized this McCann script is well Pete let's get those long range sensors scanning what theories are on your space radar the very first thing with the design of the USS Cerritos, I know people looked at it and said, the deflector area disconnected down there by the nacelles. But what do they do immediately to set you at ease? There's some schematics. You can clearly get to that area. Uh, again, it's a new type of ship. Take a deep breath. It, it's all Star Trek, man. And I have to admit, you know, w- within the world of Star Trek, I have concerns about the design of it. Now, it it is not the first time there's been that separation. There's the, you know, the the movie era uh, ship design that is similarly split. In fact, if not even split, more so. Um, but you're right; they have the they have the forethought to stop at a master systems display to show you a map. Pete, I won't tell you which one of us spent time yesterday pouring over the map it was me <laughs> um you know just looking at look at it this way that that still has less detail than the famous one in engineering on tng um but i'm still looking at it going is that the warp core pete uh, i was talking about it to you yesterday okay this thing appears to have a horizontal uh warp core as opposed to tng where it was vertical and for anybody who's going to complain about that you know that's what they did in classic Trek where it was horizontal too. Um, but just, I don't know. It's a fun design. It's a different design. Um, I, again, I kind of quibble the thought that you need to take a turbo lift through the pylons to get from the saucer section to the engineering section. I think that's a goofy design choice. However, what's the design of the Cerritos? Not to be a super efficient warship that can take damage and in, in an area and people can still move quickly not to go on first contact missions it's it's pete's the difference between you know like you know the the needing a hummer and needing a honda civic this is the honda civic of starfleet that shows on up gets stuff done comfortably does a good job for it and that w- within that mission the design of the ship makes sense well second contact just makes sense and it makes story sense to explore it particularly as a pilot it's a practicality and it's spelled out in two sentences you know you meet a new alien species once you're gonna have to eventually go back and now get paperwork signed and now figure out the eventualities of that and it it's just uh eloquently done and the cherry on top being Freeman's captain's log at the end where, you know, it, it is things like this where you thought you had it all squared away. But, hey, nobody knew about the bug. Nobody knew about the cow spiders. Mm-hmm. 
from the first contact mission. And at the end of the day, you know, it was kind of frightening for them uh, as it was with the whole zombie thing. Hey, that's life in Starfleet. They solved it because they are mighty Starfleet and they are the senior crew that thought up the solution completely by themselves. Wink, wink. Um, and, and the notion of a second contact specialist ship just makes sense. The credit sequence, Matt, and the misadventures throughout these majestic shots that we've come to know of our Star Trek uh, credit sequences between getting struck by an asteroid, scraping against a comet, and kind of listing off to the side there. My personal favorite, noping out of a Romulan-Borg, uh, you know, conflict that people are already speculating. Is is this where the artifact uh, scene in Picard was uh, created? Um, having a creature uh, sucking on the nacelle, how is that any different than what we've seen in the next generation when you have the uh, the... Not the space whale like Discovery, but the the other creature that saw the uh, the Enterprise D as uh, mother as mama, or, yeah, or or food or both. I mean, it's yeah. I I'm wild about the uh, the credit sequence. I enjoy the humor of it. To me, it is slightly incongruous in terms of in universe. If this is a highly specialized ship that, again, is not going on first contact stuff, it's not necessarily going on deep space stuff, but from what we saw of the senior staff, everybody is ultra professional and ultra capable. In the credits, we have, you know, a bunch of misadventures, a little incongruity, again, in-universe, but if you're saying, no, this is the title sequence to remind you what this show is about, um, much as... Other Star Trek title sequences have shown, you know, exploration or the ship zooming through space, you know, things like that to kind of set the table of what the intention is. Then in our world, it's doing a great job to say, hey, we're going to be aspirational, but a little goofy, but it's all going to work out in the end. We get a number of visual references, particularly to the next generation era that this is set right in slash after i mean we've got a visor on a female crew member that's seen twice we've got the the blue skin alien with the breathing apparatus uh we even get later on a vulcan who's gotten some of the uh bile on his chin that makes it look like a goatee yeah all sorts of fun details uh clearly meant to harken back to to Trek of old, and I don't think it's there for fan service. I really think that McCann and company come across as authentic Star Trek fans and just wanting, you know, saying if you're going to populate your background with, you know, other other officers, let's throw in a visor, not just because, oh, it's Geordi, because uh, it's representing somebody who's uh, disabled and, and who's who's overcoming it. Let's throw in some of these these aliens that are familiar and things of that sort similar with many of the aspects of the ship's design i mean i i really thought that the bridge was sensibly designed uh just in terms of in terms of uh, i don't know it, it having some of the aspects of the enterprise d and kind of the it's not quite a horseshoe but that horseshoe area behind 
Um, things like, you know, the holodeck, it's kind of like a no-brainer to bring the holodeck back. Love the, uh, the uh, what was it, the, the Olympic training thing that Mariner has. I mean, just <laughs> yes. a funny... Some Pete, although side note, Pete, uh, were you offended by the notion that there are what muscular men that Mariner might be interested in in her fantasies or desires? I mean, there was somebody online, you know, oh, this is not suitable for kids. It's a dude's butt. That's it. Uh, that there's nudity and underwear underneath uniforms the way it's always been speculated. Uh, yeah, come on. I mean, people again need to recognize that this stuff's okay, that it didn't ruin childhoods or adulthoods. And, uh, it's, it's funny. Go back and watch Simpsons from the early nineties. You will see more cursing and more rear ends (laughs) in some episodes than you did, than you did in this simple as that. Um, continuing with some of the ship design stuff. I thought that it was an interesting uh, it, it was interesting to have this kind of lower decks bunks area. Uh, I, I mean, I think it's completely in line with slightly smaller ships. You know, I think of submarines or even kind of Navy vessels in the real world where, yeah, if you are beneath a certain rank, you, you are kind of, you know, in a bunk that's going to have a little, you know, ha- have a have a light proof curtain that when you you know when you do need to close it, but otherwise you don't get much privacy. You got to work for your own quarters. Yeah, I loved this next generation carryover of the hallways and then the merging of the bunks. I mean, we've seen a similar style uh, in Star Trek VI um, when they they showed some some living quarters. But to see it here to, again, a a sentence of exposition. I mean, so often, Matt, we talk with a lot of the shows that we cover in the Marvel universe, sometimes into the Star Trek universe, of of needing a sentence to really explain something. And here it's done, and here it's done effectively and efficiently. Similarly, I think the design of the bar, I mean, it's way bigger than 10 forward was because it's animation, because you can have the bar go go back in depth, have it be this massive room. It just kind of it was welcoming in a way that I think 10 forward aspired to be. And 10 forward was, you know, on a four by three cathode ray, uh, you know, TV screen. And this just really, really felt like the the hub for the entire ship and and super welcoming there and a place you know pete as we kind of steer back squarely into theories here a place where at the end you have tendy and rutherford on the same page about being interested in you know why the door didn't work and kind of interested in the technical aspects what do you think a bit of a spark between them can we can we ship tendy and rutherford <laughs> after only 22 minutes of show well i mean so long as we get more Ensign Barnes, who's super cute, wait, all the girls are cute. Uh, the interaction of the characters, I mean, clearly we have our core four, okay, in Mariner and Boimler and Tendi and Rutherford. But I love that not only, you know, the, the senior staff is at arm's length and they're always going to be into the story. I mean, there's a shot in this pilot of uh, the the big burly Bajoran shacks 
you know, beaten the crap out of some of the uh, zombified crew, but it's done through a window as our characters are doing a spacewalk, something that ordinarily would be the focus of the show, the, the fight in the corridor, but instead it's this pseudo heroic stuff going on. That's really a date viewing the main conflict. And that encapsulates the, the storytelling that's possible on this show. Yeah. I know the star Trek CBS Twitter account, you know, was, was really pushing, you know, who's your favorite bridge officer. And it was like bridge officer. We were barely on the bridge uh, I don't know that Shax's name was said, and if it was, it kind of, you know, it certainly was not, I'm Lieutenant Shax, you know, from Bajor. Like, it's, the, the 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 senior staff really is in the background. They really are supporting characters, uh, as is the concept of the show. I mean, it makes, it, it makes sense. Um, I, I don't know. It was, keeping them at arm's length, too, I thought was such an effective way to keep us in the corner of the Lower Decks crew and in the corner of, you know, like, bosses, am I right? They're terrible. Oh, man, there they are again, saying they saved the day, even though we all know it was Brad Boimler that saved the day, kind of, sort of, even though he didn't synthesize the thing and didn't run the medical scan and didn't get it to everybody. But it's just this great thing of, hey, the boss is over there, they stink, I'm a Lower Decks person, too. Right. And you talk about the bar before, because that's not at all a Star Trek thing at all. Right. To like 1988. Yeah. But anyway, we we um, saw that on, for people who don't know, we both saw that on Twitter. Somebody <laughs> complaining that there's bars in Star Trek. Like, right. Come on. I mean, come on, because there wasn't one on Deep Space Nine uh, because the the mess hall hasn't been uh, a pivotal location for multiple series. I mean, just just stop, get over yourself, and that's the whole thing here. It's okay to not take Star Trek seriously after fifty four years and eight series at this point, but also at the same time still have a sense of wonder. So if we talk like the Star Trek short treks, Trouble with Edward, before it you know, Star Trek is better with lower decks in it than not having it. So to talk about the bar or to uh, make the joke about the number of ops locations throughout a starship. Um, and then even the reference later on of Cetacean Ops, which is a super deep cut next generation uh, schematic and, uh, you know, cut away from uh, that era that it was just too expensive to attempt to do. And what do you know, on an animated show with the tools that we have in 2020, being able to do something like that, again, it, it all works. You mentioned before kind of the, the uh, frivolity, my word, but, but that notion of this being a little bit more of a, lower stakes uh show and i think that there's an aspect to that rewind a week ago a month ago when we were doing some of the podcasts as lead up to this and you were saying hey don't forget mccann's rick and morty cred don't forget that you can be animated you can be silly you can be over the top but you can also have heart to it pete i in no way was expecting the emotional resonance at the end this notion that 
Mariner is estranged from her mother, her mother who is her commanding officer now. And Pete, the notion that Captain Freeman does not want her daughter around because her daughter, you know, is a failure. I mean, this is not an episode about heartbreaking stuff. This is not an episode that's about, you know, a traditional family. You kind of have the family of the ensigns and the family of the command crew. But my goodness, that cuts to the core of, you know, again, to see somebody online, oh, it's all Looney Tunes and whatnot. I mean, my goodness, Pete, the mother is rejecting her daughter. The daughter rejecting all that the mother holds up in terms of, you know, and all that by 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 uh, implication that we as Star Trek fans hold up in terms of working together and doing your best and the cream rising to the top. And when you're not cream, you work even harder to become the cream that rises to the top and all of that. And just baked into it, you know, Mariner's a really funny character, funny from beginning to end. She's shown as capable. She's been on these missions. Trust me with the, you know, spider strip down decoy thing. Uh, but, you know, somebody who's just, it's implied that she is emotionally raw on the inside. There's all this stuff that's right beneath the surface that, again, we can be silly, we can be funny, but this is a character that's got real pain that's informing her decisions and a character who has affection for Boimler, who, despite his crazy madcap adventures, and oh no, Pete, I'm offended that he has nipples, you know, like mammals, <laughs> um, you know, but but the fact that he's loyal to her, not the captain in whom he's trying to emulate himself, there's there's all this emotionality there that it doesn't need to come out and say special moment, but it's there and it's driving it's driving a heart to the show that's not on the surface when there's black bile everywhere and, and that sort of thing. Animated content gets denigrated because it's not live action. It's nowhere near as expensive. But, you know, to get what you have here, and let's talk about Beckett Mariner for a second, okay? As a lead, this is a world-weary and wise character within the star trek universe who's on her fifth ship she's been around the block she last served with her father on the keto she was demoted for some reason to her mother's vessel um she's been trapped in a sentient cave i, I hope we're gonna get that and some keto flashback stuff at some point um you know knowing not to spoil the milk of this herbivorous um, uh, spider thing, uh, spider cow, and not going with the easy out deus ex machina of the the emergency beam out, throwing uh, Boimler's com badge away. Again, character and story choices that make sense in a universe we're uh, nearly 800 episodes familiar with. And to me, that was the astonishing thing that had me watch this pilot three times or recording this on Sunday, three times since Thursday. Uh, it's that it's not just, all right, it's the it's the uniforms or oh, it's a cool ship. Uh, although, Pete, I would have liked a little bit more of a TNG bent to engineering. I know we saw it via holodeck, but it, it was slightly discovery and design. And I'm not anti-discovery at all. We both love the show, but I would like a little bit more of those warmer earth tones. But it's not just com badges and uniforms and phasers and aliens and whatnot. There's a real, there's a real 
there's a real world story to this. I don't mean real world in terms of ripped from the headlines. These are real characters with real problems, with real successes. These are these are fully formed people existing in the world of the show. You know, and as you said, sometimes animation can get a bad rap. These are these are full characters in a way that you know, I mean, I mean pick any previous Star Trek thing where, you know, Oh, this person was just kind of like button pusher for the first couple episodes. Not here. In 22 minutes, they deliver a real world. And full growth of characters and an arc. So Boimler's special mission that he's placed on secretly by Captain Freeman that leads so well to the uh, stinger there at the end. Surprise. That's her mother. And that he comes around to rolling his eyes at the mere mention of the senior staff, okay? Because he's responsible for saving everybody if he doesn't get attacked by the spider cow. Um, you know, that that's what we want and get from our Star Trek here. And just a quick side note that, you know, it's hard on CBS All Access. You know, I'll, I'll punch them uh, while they're in the middle, not down necessarily. Uh, but, you know, to, to pause the screen, it's hard to do on your desktop because, again, it's going to minimize it. Matt's figured out, shh, don't tell the CBS All Access PR people, that he can now take a screenshot on a mobile device of uh, a an episode. But... Um, of all the things, the captain-y things we see on the shelves of the uh, the ready rooms of our captains, um, that the one thing that sticks out the most that Captain Freeman has, there is a police hat. There is a, uh, a cop hat in the background of her room. I hope we, we get, is it a, you know, is that her go-to holodeck? program and she grabs that hat is it uh, a time travel um momenta um yeah i i just I, I love the the design and the thoughtful choices here that a lot of people are chalking up to oh cartoons and zaniness yeah and i know there's all sorts of details in the background. And I initially, when I was reading one article online, and I must confess, I, I don't remember the website, even though I'm going to, I'm going to tweak them first and I'm going to, you know, uh, cite them. Uh, apologies. I don't have the link off the top of my head, but some of the things that they, some of the, the unique deep cuts that they found, you know, things like there's somebody with a visor. Yeah. yeah we saw really? them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> deep cut. Come on, man. Um, things like that. But I mean, when Boimler is in the closet, uh there's a uh, a nomad probe lying in the background or actually i think it's in the foreground but th there's that um things of that sort there's uh in in the the contraband cart that mariner has there's the the uh, i don't know spiky glove device uh not device but the spiky glove weapon from code of honor which is the last time anybody <laughs> should ever mention code of honor but right things like that where again I think we are so used to TV in general, yes, but particularly in Star Trek, in the 54 years where there's this there's this tradition out of necessity, out of recycling stuff, you know, which is, the, again, the nature of a lot of TV. But, you know, the number of times Worf's chair has been around and the 
the the horizontal blinky neon device that was in you know star trek 2 and all sorts of next generation stuff and like things like that we're kind of used to it and it becomes in universe like wink wink nudge nudge however we know the origin which is all right we got to put a thing here go to the star trek prop area and start grabbing stuff here in animation everything is a choice particularly in the pilot i mean there's you know if they want to reuse that card again in a couple episodes so be it but everything needs to be made fresh so to fill every last corner with these intentional details it kind of makes it it makes it all the more special pete speaking of details question for you here and i'm going to word this carefully do you think that rutherford's uh very kind of literal interpretation of you know well why isn't the door working properly amidst romance amidst zombie attack amidst red alert here he's focusing on door protocol maybe a little bit of a loving i won't say finger wag a loving wink to the fans who are going to say well in episode 218 you push this button and then you push the same button three seasons later and it did not fire phasers it in fact had a passive scan as somebody who's been, and and you're included in this, Matt, who's been asked to move out of a row at a convention that nobody ultimately sat in, uh, I think I can more than answer that in the affirmative. What else is on your theory radar? We got Picard's ride from Star Trek Nemesis that he went on safe velocities and i mean that is an intentional choice to put the little dune buggy thing in there yeah and i feel like it's one of those things i'm not a huge fan of the next generation movies um and i f- i remember you know i saw nemesis opening weekend and i remember like oh here now it's like star trek the action thing and yes there's always been an action portion but i feel like the movies are less character and more you know kind of more run and gun type stuff fine whatever point being i was always a little down on on those you know kind of cart car things but you see it in the context of this episode where it's not meant to be a fantastic thrill ride with a great you know chase sequence and it's meant to be a tool used to explore places and it's like oh why haven't they been using these carts before it makes too much sense to not have them you talk about tools, Matt. Uh, how about that uh, Mariner tells Boimler that the doctor's just going to wave a light over an injury? Yeah, which I, re- I remember being a teenager during the run of Next Generation and kind of going, it seems like it's not that difficult to be Dr. Crusher because all you do is push the medical tricorder scanner and it tells you what the thing is and then you... As you say, Pete, as the episode says, you kind of like wave a light and then it's all fixed. Like that's, it's not difficult being a doctor. When you mentioned tools, I thought you were going to mention the hilarious design of uh, Star Trek future space shovel. And uh, was it a, a, a spade or whatever the other one oh. was? But <laughs> oh, there you go. Um, but just the notion of you you can't improve upon the design of a shovel but starfleet has because now there's buttons on it that do something probably push the the pointy ends out of it back to the doctor and you know the tradition of having a medical officer as you know the part of the senior staff of every 
show that we've had. And again, I think that uh, Dr. Tana is just going to be such a fan favorite, despite being at that arm's length senior staff level, you know, uh, the, the, the gruff attitude, we've seen that before that tracks, uh, having a male nurse here that becomes the, the butt of the joke for Ensign Tendi that she was to report to nurse Westlake and then, you know, Nurse Westlake is the one who's strapped down, infected, and she's got to help there. Again, it's, you know, people have made subverting expectations like it's some kind of negative in this uh, era where people are going to uh, wag fingers at what they refer to as social justice. When for 54 years, Star Trek has... Uh, traded heavily successfully in the idea of social justice and flipping ideas around and it all works. We talk a lot on the different shows that we podcast. We talk about effortless exposition and you think of all the, you know, again, zombie infection and, you know, spider cow and whatnot. Also in those 22 minutes, it's the introduction of four leads four supporting characters, two recurring characters, I would assume, in terms of the nurse and uh, Lieutenant Commander Billups, uh, who's the, the the bald guy with the mustache there, played by Paul Shear, and and the ship, and so on and so forth. It, you know, it's just, it's, again, it's effortless. You wouldn't stop and think, you know, about, oh, the time that they took to have you understand who these people are full love towards encounter at far point but this is very this is quite a distance from and in the second hour we will say now we will pick up commander Riker, tasha yar the doctor and her boy you know like it's 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 just moving at a different speed and then you close it all out with as you mentioned before the number of star trek references but that you make Gary Mitchell the the one you throw out there, and uh, maybe you'll look him up. Yeah, I, I I'm of two thoughts as to the very end there. I here's here's in my head canon, Pete. Here's what I think was the genesis of that genesis device. I think that it was as they're making this episode, which again it's animation, so this was probably written you know two years ago, and animation started shortly thereafter, whatever, whatever. But it probably was like. You know what, cranky, semi-Star Trek fans claiming that there's not enough Star Trek in your Star Trek? We're just going to jam-pack it. We're not just going to put Nomad as a throwaway prop here. We're not just going to put the the Code of Honor, you know, glaive over there. Uh, we're going to name-check as much as possible at the end, just so you really know that there's, you know, that there's people who know Star Trek here. And, and by the way, Pete, it's doing double duty for the character because it shows that Mariner knows her great Star Trek, her great Starfleet history as well. With that, let's go to Hailing Frequencies. Hailing Frequencies open, sir. Matt, we'll start on Facebook here where Andrew Dawkins writes in, Hey, fellas, love you, your podcasts. Can't wait for this new Star Trek show and your coverage as well. I have one quick complaint, question mark. Of course, it's not about your show. It's about the so-called critics who are complaining already about Lower Decks. 
I cannot think of a worse thing than to complain about a show that's not even out yet. Give the show a chance. Give it an opportunity to grow into a great show. Even the holy grails of The Next Generation and Deep Space Nine took a couple of seasons to ripe into their own. Enterprise was killed off by critics before it had a chance. Now the critics uh, are doing it again with Discovery and now Lower Decks. Uh, while I don't consider your shows, uh, your show as critics, you guys do it so well and give your opinion either negative or positive, but at least you still give the show a chance and watch it with an open mind. I've listened to your podcast on and off for a number of years, and you two never, ever say don't watch or see any particular show slash movie. You give info on it, talk about the shows, and allow us listeners to make up our own minds. Can't say that for the quote-unquote critics. Thank you for all you do for us listeners. As always, make my Marvel and Fantastic Geek. P.S. Sorry for the long well, never a need to uh, to apologize for having long feedback, long thoughts, etc. So, no worries there. Add to it, I mean, what kind words, and I think that it sums up what we try and do. I mean, you know, even even shows that we series we have podcasted where we realize once it's underway, oh, this isn't what we thought it would be. It's not. A, it's not. We're not loving it. I mean, we will explain what we think the problems are but nobody's tuning into a podcast to hear you know to hear hate heaped on i mean yes i know there is there's a whole youtube mini cottage industry of you know uh yelling at star trek and fake 4chan etc etc but that's not what we're here for so uh thank you there dear listener for uh, for being with us for the ride andrew uh, wrote in after he had watched the uh lower decks premiere here i freaking loved it it's exactly what we need just something to make us laugh and still have the star trek feel the twist at the end was great it's a fun show and if we don't take it too seriously we might enjoy the laughs lord knows we need it yeah it it is a lighter offering and that is welcome not just now although my goodness you talk about a show made you know made made for the right time but it does harken back to some of the lighter, goofier stuff of Next Generation of Classic Trek. And that's that's okay. It needn't all be one flavor, ultra postmodern, post 9-11, conspiracy, etc. We can we can have fun in our exploration. Longtime listener and uh, correspondent Jeffrey Allen John Cox goes by JJ NATO on uh, Twitter. He posted on Facebook, uh, I went into Star Trek Lower Decks with, let's just say, reservations. I thought the trailer was abysmal, but curiosity got the better part of me. Yesterday, I actually thought it was quite good for an animated pilot. The bar is set pretty low on those. Even some of the greatest animated shows have horrible pilots or even first seasons. But Lower Decks surprised me. I laughed out loud in several spots, and a lot of money has obviously been spent on it. My biggest complaint 
is the voices seem to be mixed poorly. But that's a small complaint that will likely get better as the show progresses. Much like Seth MacFarlane's Trek homage, The Orville, it balances over-the-top humor and situations with heart and characters you actually kind of care about by the end of the pilot. Certainly not perfect, but much better than the train wreck I thought it was going to be. My ears had not picked up a mix issue, and and usually I, I catch some of that stuff. Uh, I have to wonder, you know, was it maybe... Was it maybe a temporary technical thing? You know, like when he listened, was there, you know, extra, uh, you know, extra bleeps and bloops in the internet, that kind of thing. Um, I mean, goodness, it, you, did he maybe, did they realize there was an issue and then upload the correct version? You know, something like that, that, that was maybe technical behind the scenes, not necessarily, you know, from from Lower Decks headquarters, McCann, etc., um, but uh, Pete, I'm going to keep an ear out when I go for that fourth watch between now and Thursday, cause I got to get me some more lower decks. Robert T. Frost writes in good morning, Matt and Pete. After watching our new star Trek show, lower decks, I'm on the fence about whether or not this is a show for me. I'm just a little bit older than you gentlemen. And I was nine years old when star Trek, the animated series premiered on Saturday, September 8th, 1973. And I discovered right then that science fiction and fantasy was my wheelhouse. I fondly remember the series and have rewatched it a couple of times over the recent years. So when CBS announced that it was going to develop a new animated show for Star Trek, I got very excited and remained excited even when I learned the show would be more comedic in nature. I felt a little trepidation when I learned that the show was going to be written and produced by the same folks who gave the world Rick and Morty. I knew nothing about Rick and Morty except for the snippets I saw in commercials, which left me unimpressed. Not wanting to be closed-minded, and as the release date for Lower Decks drew closer, I decided to watch Rick and Morty. Well, I tried to. I got through about five to seven minutes of the first episode before turning it off with a great sinking feeling of dread in my stomach. I was, not, I was now worried that Lower Decks would be more of the same. I watched the first Lower Decks episode and was unimpressed. I think my idea of funny is out of step with the writers. I think this show is definitely aimed at a younger generation. I realize that my anticipation was colored by some great childhood memories and that I was hoping for more of the animated series, but I think I'm getting more of a quote unquote cartoon series. However, not all was bad. I really like the idea, idea of the crew being the B team in Starfleet. And I like that Ensign Mariner seems to be the black sheep daughter of Captain Freeman and the unnamed Admiral. I will give the show time to grow on me. I hope we'll see if it can come around to a new to me brand of humor. Uh, till next time, your friend, Bob. Pete, I would say in response to Bob, and I know other, I've seen other concerns online, you know, about the comedy of it. I think that while there are funny things about the pilot, I don't know that this is, that this is a comedy in the way that Rick and Morty was, or slash is. Uh, I see that McCann also worked on uh, Drawn Together, which was a great 
Comedy Central cartoon that was like it was it was a cartoon reality show where characters from different genres had come together. So it was like the 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 Superman analog and the SpongeBob analog and things like that. Uh, point being, it was just madcap. It was crazy. It was silly. It was inappropriate. It was all those things. I don't know that this is a comedy in quite the same way as those. Um, I mean, let's not forget McCann is the one that wrote the, the short Trek, the escape artist with, uh, with, uh, with mud in it. That was funny, but not, you know, like not, you know, ha ha yuck a minute, uh, data with his terrible, um, with his terrible poem kind of funny. It was more kind of cheeky and silly. And I, and I think that there's, there's, there's a silliness in lower decks that is a little bit different than, Oh no, Lucy and Ethel, the, the chocolate conveyor belt is now going to go faster. And with the idea of Rick and Morty, and I've talked in our previous uh, podcasts about how I watched all of the series leading up here to Lower Decks, more so to, to get familiarity with that series, and really, really come to appreciate First off, that's written and produced by guys who are like us, Star Trek guys, who put those jokes in there, in their comedy uh, about multiverses and, and things like that. And then, you know, like I had shared with Matt this week, the storytelling that's going on there gets really short shrift and is very, very well done. I mean, they had an episode in this most recent season. It's called the Vat of Acid uh, or the Acid Vat episode. Um, and there's a five to seven minute segment that's almost completely devoid of dialogue in which they the, the device is the idea of resetting a, a universe like a, a video game save button. And... At one point, the character doesn't do it and continues on with what he's going through, meets a girl. Uh, they break up. They get back together. They go on the trip of a lifetime. The plane crashes. They wind up in a desperate situation, uh, find a way to contact home, get saved, and then the reset button gets pressed. And then the character is attempting to convince the woman he's not meant to this point uh, that they went through this in an alternate timeline all the while uh, an Eric Clapton uh, movie soundtrack song from 1986-87 is playing and it's just it's brilliance it's brilliance and I keep telling Matt that if we get that type of storytelling with this Star Trek animated comedy that, you know, that to me is the ultimate compliment. Well, Pete, we are here on the USS Fantastic Geek, our mission covering Lower Decks. Meanwhile, back at Douglas Station is the elusive, the mysterious, the ever-wise Admiral Fred from the Netherlands, who now sends us via subspace a communique. Hello, Matt and Pete, and all listeners to Fantastic Geek. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Star Trek Lower Decks Season 1 Episode 1. Nice to be back. It has been quite a while since I gave feedback for Star Trek Picard and The Mandalorian and the final season of Marvel's Runaways. 
Unfortunately, I couldn't join you for the seventh season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. because I'm currently watching the fourth season for the very first time. Okay, about Star Trek Lower Decks. Did I really plan to watch this? Well, actually not. But then you get into your social media and everything pops up and then you think, okay, I have to check it out. It is Star Trek and as being a big Star Trek fan, I thought, okay, I have to check this out to at least form an opinion about it. So I'm not sure yet if I will stay with you all the way. Of course, I watched every Star Trek. Um, Not completely true, because I never watched the animated series. So we will see what will happen. I did watch the two animated short tracks though. So when I started watching I thought is this a cartoon for children or is it a cartoon for adults? And it took me until the scene in the holodeck after Ensign Boimler left and the two girls asked or at least Ensign Mariner asked for a gym full of nude big guys. Then I thought, okay, probably adult. The beginning I found a little hectic, too fast paced. There is of course quite some exposition in it, but okay, we have to position this story, so that's not too bad for a pilot. The references at the end to the whole Star Trek universe and naming all kinds of famous Star Trek figures was nice but a little bit overdone. I really wondered if I had to put it in the category of a comedy. Is it a comedy? If it is a comedy it's okay that Ensign Rutherford is sitting there with his let's say love interests although in the back there are big fights. If it's not a comedy it's all a little bit unlikely. So I have to really watch another one or two episodes to form a proper judgment. That was all for now. Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. As always, our deep appreciations for Fred taking the time to uh, to share his thoughts. Pete, my first thought in response to Fred, you know, Mike McCann was very candid in the last week. Um, uh, surprisingly so, given what in our experience has been this, this death grip that you know, CBS All Access PR has over has over everything to the point of you know, uh, threatening, lying, being exclusionary, etc. The PR people, um, but McCann talking about how the timeline for this show was moved up, you know, in terms of the production, in terms of the release. Uh, therefore, there is not there have you know the international partnerships, your Amazon, your Netflix, etc. There wasn't time to do it. Um, so my question is this, how is Fred watching? Does he have a Section 31 connection <laughs> that allows him access to this thing that outside the United States and Canada is supposed to be verboten? The the hookup, yeah. Interesting uh, to ponder what is happening there. I have a question. Was Fred the body model for the uh, nude Olympic trainers in the holodeck? Uh, I, I suspect the answer is yes. He's probably just being coy there. Um, I suspect he has a similar workout routine. Uh, but to his point here, and I know we had discussed this a bit before, but is this a comedy or not? I think his reference of the the date gone bad and how it you know there's the comedic contrast 
of of uh rutherford and barnes you know kind of continuing the sweet date while there is you know the, the worst possible situation behind them um i mean yes there's obviously a comedic bent to it I think that at least in this country, I think of the Emmys and awards and things like that, we're still stuck on drama and comedy. And in my mind, there really should be a third official category. I know we all know the word dramedy as kind of the hybrid of the two, but I look at some of the Emmy nominees this year. Dead to Me, for example, is super funny at times, you know, half hour show on Netflix. Uh, Also, tremendously sad at times. Also, no spoiler, you know, there's... Somebody dies in between the first season and the second season, um, and and maybe they don't want everybody to find that out. And the whole first season is about somebody being killed, and there's twists and turns. Point being, I think that if, if we're going to give this show a label, dramedy might be the way to do it. Because it's not, as I said before, it's not outright funny, laugh a minute all the time. It's not Flintstones zaniness, but it also is not you know an animated short talking about the, the the eternal struggle of man versus nature that sort of thing i think it is squarely a comedy in what we know about that in 2020 but uh there's the star trek exploration the wonder which is showcased in this pilot and there's a whole lot of heart too and to think that down the road as we watch in a in a serialized form how uh mariner and boimler are going to continue to grow how their arcs are going to be fleshed out i mean clearly the the daughter mother stuff how she's wound up with her mom on her fifth different ship uh as boimler continues to try to grab for a captain's chair as uh, and Sintendi tries to move up the ranks. Um, they're they're going to give us yes the zany moments. That's why you're tuning in. But there's that undercurrent of heart, and you know I'm looking forward to that just as much as the laughs. Well, at the beginning of the podcast, you mentioned that this is the beginning of the vaunted 23 weeks of Trek, and we of course can't wait for the next nine episodes of Lower Decks, and then the 13 of discovery behind it and this whole journey to the stars made possible by the people who support us on patreon.com slash fantastic geek so our eternal thanks to them everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive podcast content it's like a whole holodeck matt just waiting for you there whether you like sand or uh nude olympic athletes but uh if you can't contribute right now we certainly understand in the grip of a pandemic you can get yourself over to apple podcasts leave us a rating to any one of our 19 podcast feeds takes just a second out of uh five stars you could leave us a review takes a little bit longer but all of those help us just as much as a financial contribution we cannot wait to keep the conversation going about Lower Decks and, of course, Discovery after it, this this golden age of Trek. Pete, do you know how many years in the 54 years of Star Trek there have been two new Star Trek shows to debut in the same calendar year? How about never? It is this year. So here we are in the, in the second great golden age of Star Trek. Can't wait to have that conversation continuing. Pete, how can people be in touch with you on Twitter? 
You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 11,399 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter is looking back lost, do me in touch the podcast comment on fantasticgeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek, all one word with the P and the H like it today. We will be back next Sunday to talk episode 102 of Star Trek Lower Decks, keeping the Star Trek Sundays going at least for the month of August. Might switch to Saturdays in September. Yes, but got that big Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. finale coming up this week, so need to digest that, but then right back into the Star Trek. Absolutely. So if like hashtag team Fred, you want to be sharing your feedback by the end of the day on Saturday is great. And if that's going to switch to a little bit earlier, we will certainly let you know with plenty of warning. But for now, Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. Keep it moving, Lower Decks. 